it's really difficult to profile these guys because a lot of their business is not going through their bank accounts. So people just give these crazy interest rates so that if there's a default, they can cover it. And also because you can, if someone doesn't have a choice, what are they going to do? I think why that is, is just in general, the informal sector, although it's 80 to 90% of most African countries' economy, it's just neglected because it's very hard to deal with. You know how businesses work. Generally, you want standardized offtake. You want people to consume from you in a way that you can manage. And the informal sector does not work that way. You can't get someone who has been used to doing business one way their whole life and just give them an app and they're just going to start using it. When you think about small businesses and local merchants, you know that they are the engine that fuels economies all over the world. This is true everywhere you look, including in Africa, where Anu Adasolam works as a founder and CEO at Sabi, a company that is helping informal merchants and businesses reach new heights. For too long, the tens of thousands of small local merchants in Africa have operated without much help, credit, or access to technology. But while they have stayed the course, the world has moved forward toward a more digitally focused future. To succeed long-term, in Africa and everywhere else, all businesses need access to opportunities to build credit, digitize their operations, and connect with suppliers and buyers everywhere. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Anu explains how Sabi provides these opportunities. She also discusses how B2B companies should be thinking about helping their clients succeed by focusing only on a narrow set of goals. Plus, she dives into what it takes to navigate through scaling a company. Enjoy today's episode. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word. Before we dive into this episode, I was hoping you could please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps spread the word about the show, and I would really love it. So please, let me know how I'm doing, and give me a rating, give me a review. Let us know. All right, enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Anu Adesolam, who's the CEO at Sabi. Anu, Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited that you're closing out your day with us. I feel so touched. So I'd love to hear a little bit about Sabi. What is it and how did you come up with the idea? Okay, Sabi is a platform for um, traders um, in the informal space, which basically means the cash economy, I think is an easy way to think about it. Uh, We facilitate all sorts of supply to them, goods and services. Um, from third parties. 
and how I came up with it. That's actually a bit of a story. So I used to be COO for an energy company actually called Rensource. It's um, distributed energy, um, which basically means we generated power centrally um, and distributed it to several small SMEs, basically in these large open air markets. And as a result of that, we were keenly aware of the needs of these SMEs. And, you know, these SMEs can be really small kiosks that sell to just a neighborhood, or they can be pretty sizable traders. And as, you know, we built out in, in, in my former company, Ransource, quite a network. Um, I think we were at 30 or 40K SMEs. And um, we were trying to figure out how to sell them other services, basically. But we wanted to do it in a standardized way. And we never really had time to get into it properly because building energy infrastructure at that scale is also quite challenging. Mm -hmm. And then COVID came. (laughs) So we had all this downtime. All the markets were shut down because they're very people dense. And so um, we had all this downtime on our hands. And then we started working on what was then the value-added services play. But because everything was shut down, we could take it anywhere and it, it grew into Sabi. And then um, I don't know if you're familiar with infrastructure investors. Nope. But, you know, they were kind of like, what is this thing, <laughs> this beast here growing, consuming cash? And so there was a decision to spin it out. Um, very, very different business. There was no uh, customer overlay because, you know, it started at a time that Ransource's primary market was shut down. And so um, we basically started last September and uh, here we are. Well, okay. So what were some of the biggest needs that you were solving for? Like what was your first offering at Savvy that started to grow really quickly? So in September, we started with just free tools for the merchants. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's... um, Um, enabling them to record their sales and track their inventory. So we call it a a mini ERP. Mm -hmm. And that's all we started with in September. So we grew that out for three months, um, well, three and a half months. And then we got to about 70,000 merchants by the end of the year. And then in January, we started monetizing a bit by basically opening up a marketplace for physical products. And then um, mid this year, we started offering uh, credits Mm -hmm. and some financial services. Why wasn't this being offered before? Like, why did these merchants maybe not have access to ERPs or credit? Like, what was holding that up? That's a good question. So it's not, firstly, it's not that they didn't have access to anything. It's more in the way they had access to it. So free tools, they didn't have. So we we were, um, I think, about the first in the market with that. In terms of the availability of products, I mean, they've been buying products, they've been selling for a while, but it's more a matter of the full assortment and actually having access to a full assortment of products because the way it usually works is they buy from, so manufacturers or distributors will have agents going around and then you have to buy separately from everyone else, Mm -hmm. from everyone you're negotiating separately, you're trying to get access to products, it's a real headache, or they have to go to the market themselves. I think in terms of, and then credits. So you can't say, especially in Nigeria and Kenya, even that merchants don't have access to credit. It's just that the credit is very expensive. I mean, you're talking like 15% a month. Wow. It's very expensive. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is it's really difficult to profile these guys because 
a lot of their business is not going through their bank accounts. Mm -hmm. So people just give these crazy interest rates so that if there's a default, they can cover it. And also because you can, if someone doesn't have a choice, what are they going to do? Yeah. I think why that is, is just in general, the informal sector, although it's 80 to 90% of most African countries' economy, it's just neglected because it's very hard to deal with. Mm -hmm. So you, you know how businesses work. Generally, you want standardized offtake. You want people to consume from you in a way that you can manage. And the informal sector does not work that way. You can't get someone who has been used to doing business one way their whole life and just give them an app and they're just going to start using it. There's a whole process around that. And so most of the time you have a scenario where corporate businesses who have the resources, who can aggregate financing, et cetera, stay on their side of the world. And then the informal guys are just trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for us for a long time, so I did offline sales. I was head of offline sales at, uh, do you know Jumia? Mm -mm. Jumia is the largest e-commerce player in Africa. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's listed on, on, on the uh, New York Stock Exchange, actually. My last role there was I was head of offline sales. Um, and then obviously I ran source. I was also dealing with a lot of informal traders. And very quickly, you realize their pain point is access. Mm -hmm. No one is really doing the work to, to ease the burden of access to resources that actually helps them grow their businesses. And so when we were growing out, Sabi, we were kind of determined to change that dynamic. Um, and so our aim is more how do we bring products to the markets in collaboration with these more corporate businesses that actually serve the informal businesses? Mm -hmm. So what does that collaboration look like? Because I could see, you know, larger corporations being like, we've always done it this way and we don't want to play in this riskier area. So like, what did that look like to actually get them to, you know, play with you guys? So that's the thing. Our job is actually really around that coordination and that product definition and profiling. So Sabi is actually a business that focuses on understanding the profile and network in informal trade. Got it. So what that means is a lot of the time when you when people look at a business like Sabi, they think, oh, these guys are basically digitizing supply uh, for, for informal traders. That's not what we're doing. We're not necessarily a digitization play. Digitization is part of what we do. Mm -hmm. But what we really do is understand the network of the traders, who sells to who, who buys from who, um, who's reliable, who is not, um, through different sources of information and using those profiles and our understanding of those businesses to tell third parties who trust Sabi as a business that, hey, you know what, why don't you extend credit to this guy? Um, hey, you know what, it's worth making goods or products available to this guy. And because it's not just about one business. It's about a tranche of businesses. Mm -hmm. So what they're accessing through us is, a, is basically de-risked offtake to the largest sector of the economy. Got it. So you're like this layer, like middle person layer of trust that allows other people to... It's a layer of trust. Exactly. Exactly right. Got it. Okay. So what are you maybe asking the businesses for that are informal? I'm guessing maybe they don't have the traditional tax returns and like they all do the documents not. that, you know, we're used to. What are you asking for to try and determine like their trust level? So it's, it's very um, relationship-based and, and history-based. Mm -hmm. So it's almost, almost like to an extent, like 
if you think social media, like one person is connected to another and the recommendation engine on Facebook or whomever, right? They're recommending to you based on their understanding of your network. Mm -hmm. Something like that, except this involves commerce. So first of all, every business we're working with, we start off in a very controlled way. You can't just come in and access $100,000, right? Mm -hmm. No, it's like you could probably access $200. And, but the idea is that the more you do with us, the more you're able to access. And also, especially depending who, who you're doing it with. So we don't do anything directly. We don't do logistics directly. We don't buy directly. We don't supply directly. These are all businesses supplying other businesses. Mm-hmm. But what we're doing is tracking what each business is doing in the system. So first of all, we have the sales data, the inventory data that they um, track on our system. And then it's more, what are you buying through the system? So if you've bought consistently from us, you've received on time, um, very basic e-commerce profiling. So is this a reliable customer? Um, you know, do they take what they order, et cetera, et cetera. Then we know you're already a reasonably reliable person. Mm-hmm. And then if you were referred, so there's a lot of referrals going on. If you were referred by a reliable player, then your stock also goes up. And then if you take a small amount of credits in the form of inventory financing, not out and out loans, but inventory financing, then the more you turn that money around and you return it, then the more you're able to access over time. And so basically it's more a matter of building that history and that profile. And then using the data that we get to understand who's reliable and make recommendations based on that. Wow, that's really smart and amazing. So can the merchants see kind of their score where it's kind of like gamifying a bit of like your score is going up as you're doing a better job? Not yet, Okay. not yet. They can't see their score yet, but it is part of what we're releasing next year. Mm -hmm. This year for us has been more about, because we actually just started... Uh, the monetization part, what I like, what I think of as the hardest piece, mm-hmm. uh, the, the physical goods part in January. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what we've been doing is basically growing out our ability to coordinate because it's really difficult actually to automate coordination at that level. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, every single thing that runs through our system is from a third party. Um, so aggregation is through a third party, supply is through a third party, logistics is through a third party, uh, sales is, everything is through a third party. So making sure that you can coordinate all of that and it's received as though you supply directly, is still a good customer experience, is actually difficult. Yeah. And so um, building that out has been our focus for the past year and building that out, growing at the pace we've been growing is has been a real dance and then we've layered on different parts so now what we're working on and going into next year is really the introduction of more and more engagement and automation more and more automation around the scoring and the triggering of the access to different actions Mm -hmm. or different services so that merchants can uh, more readily control their own journey in our system. Mm-hmm. So in terms of things like our recommendation engine, the discovery of different products, those kind of things is what we're focused on for next year. Just to give you some perspective, because you're dealing with informal traders, you have to have many different channels. It's not as though you can just give them an app or a call center. Mm-hmm. Some merchants are comfortable with WhatsApp 
some merchants are comfortable with a call center, some want an app. Um, larger merchants need a more supplier center style product. And so making sure all those channels have a consistently good experience, um, making sure all those channels are targeted correctly and that merchants have not quite a customized experience, but a more personalized experience mm -hmm. is what we've been doing over the last year. Wow. It sounds difficult figuring out all those channels and how to optimize it correctly for each yeah, different merchant. I mean, when you're talking about moving to the monetization piece, what part are you monetizing? Like I know I saw, I think over like a billion dollars or more of sales has been going through the platform, which is amazing. Are you monetizing the sales or are you now going to charge subscription pieces or what are you thinking? So it's a billion dollars of sales records, mm -hmm. which is we don't monetize our SaaS at all. Our, sorry, not SaaS, our software. So we don't have a SaaS model. It's not software as a service. It's just free software. Mm -hmm. So all, all the sales that run through in terms of records, et cetera, we don't monetize that. Okay. But then in terms of products that's ordered from other suppliers, from suppliers through our system, we monetize that with a fee. So um, we crossed about uh we crossed 100 million in um 100 million dollars in annualized gmv in about uh it took us i think nine months and um so we earned commission on that um those sales through our system and then we also earn um we share income with the credits providers on our system so we work with different um fintech um, microfinance banks and banks to provide credits to our users. Mm -hmm. And then we, we income share with them on the interest or the fees that are paid depending on the nature of the product. Got it. That's awesome. So I read somewhere also that you were operating in stealth mode for a while and I wanted to hear, yeah. you know, what, why? I mean, a lot of people operate in stealth mode, but specifically for you, what was your motivation there? It was really about focus. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we knew the need for the product and we knew how fast it would grow. But sometimes you know something, but you don't really know something. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we released it, it started growing really fast. And I think for us, a, a big issue was that customer experience piece. Mm -hmm. Are we building this out correctly? Is this something that can scale? Um, and we really just wanted to focus on that. I think, you know, you, of course, you're familiar with the startup world. Once you're out there, you're out there. Yeah. And um, even now, so for instance, we're, we're going into the market for our Series A, and that in and of itself is a time-consuming process. Mm -hmm. So the second we were out there, people start messaging you, your LinkedIn, your email, your team. Yep. Everyone's getting job offers. Yes. <laughs> um, so it was really just about staying focused while we built that foundation. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that's why we stayed in stealth mode for a while. Got it. Yeah. Have you received any kind of pushback from, you know, like industry experts or government or like any issues around that once you came out and told people what you were doing? Like, have you had any backlash from that? So we're very fortunate in that government is not really interested in us um, because we don't do anything that has a huge amount of compliance or regulation. Mm -hmm. So while a lot of credit flows through our system, we ourselves are not the providers of the credit mm -hmm. and we are not the takers of the risk either. So we're not subject to banking or credit regulations. And then on the, the physical goods piece, we're also not the supplier. We're basically coordinating a bunch of supply. Mm -hmm. So in that way, I think we're fortunate in, in, in the structure of our business model. But um, on the pushback, I think 
because of the nature of our business, a lot of people think there are competition. Mm-hmm. So you have all these plays that are basically digitized distributors who I think are worried about us, but we're, we're really not the same thing. So in that sense, there's been a lot of focus on the team itself. And I think people are very interested in our team members. Always, always. Yeah, but in, in terms of the actual model, no, we've been fortunate on that one. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. I could see like government wanting to see your data though, wouldn't they? Because this is probably one of the first platforms that's actually tracking income coming from the informal economy where they're like, okay, we want to see what's actually happening now. So, I mean, yes, but you know, again, timing has been fortuitous in the sense that last year, or was it early this year, the tax for small businesses income was lifted. So if you earn less than a certain amount, mm-hmm. you're not subject to tax. Got it. And so therefore, that piece of attention is off our backs. But in terms of just the possibilities of insights, et cetera, yeah, there's a lot of attention from um, organizations and agencies, government agencies that work with small businesses. And, and you know, of course, we're always open to working with those guys because our aim is to enable these businesses. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, a lot of interest from credit providers and insurers that have been basically locked out of the market Mm -hmm. because of the difficulty of figuring out how to scale in it. Um, So in that way, I think coming out of stealth mode has been helpful. And then finally, um, a lot of investor and foreign interests, Mm -hmm. which is helpful in the extent that you know that as you grow, you continue to have the support you need. Um, so all in all, it, it has been, I think, more beneficial than I expected. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about taking on foreign investors? Because to me, like, I think one of your current investors said, like, you guys know it so well. It's a very unique dynamic here in Africa. Like, we need to let mm-hmm. the team kind of do what they know is best. And I can see outside influence coming in and being like, wait, this is how, you know, we do it here. We already have this already set up. And how do you feel about bringing on people who maybe don't fully understand, you know, the dynamics in Africa? So I think we've been very lucky in that we have like a super good set of investors. Mm-hmm. So we have investors who understand Africa very well. I think, and especially since we came out of stealth mode, a lot of the businesses, sorry, investors contacting us, this is kind of their, an early foray into Africa for them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, like any good startup. And I think we're a bit fortunate in that we're a reasonably experienced team. We kind of know what makes a good investor and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And um, in that way, we haven't been distracted. We don't have any investors that have tried to take us away from our primary primary focus. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we'll continue to maintain that in, in terms of all the investors, even as we get ready for our Series A, some investors have been contacting us um, directly, uh, reaching out to us. And 
thus far we've been fortunate in that I think all of them kind of understand the uniqueness mm -hmm. of this space and the difference in what we're doing from the um, other players who are more um, standardized digitization plays. Mm -hmm. And I, I think also there's there have been one or two lessons learned from some bigger e-commerce players that have been in the market, but haven't scaled as much as people anticipated in that you can't really bring a standardized model developed somewhere else into this market. Mm -hmm. So if you even look at markets that are similar, so um, some might compare us like to China and early day Alibaba. And there's truth in that, in that if you look at Alibaba, what they really did and still continue to do is support other businesses' growth, really. Mm -hmm. But also China has a much more enabled infrastructure side than us. If you look at India, where there's been an explosion recently, a lot of that explosion is due to this huge growth in basically internet since Geo entered the market. With us, there's growth in internet, there's growth in infra, but there's still this fractured value chain. And so if you try and come in with a standardized e-commerce play and say, hey, just do the offtake like this, you're going to have that kind of initial crazy burn that is very, very dot-com startup fueled, mm -hmm. but not sustainable. And we've tried very carefully to always be unit economic positive. Um, so I think our investors respect that. Um, and they've given us space to kind of grow out in the way we think is best. That's great. The other thing I was reading is that, and you can tell me if this number is inaccurate, that mm. of the informal economy within like women make up a lot of that. I think 90% of women are within the informal economy. And maybe that's a little bit overinflated, but mm. it made me think of how big of an impact you're having on their lives, yeah. being able to do business in a better way. What are some stories around that of you, you know, going out and meeting these merchants? Like, what are some stories around things that you've seen? Sure. So, I mean, 90% is high, but yes, the vast majority of these businesses are women because, uh, you know, they're the ones who can, you need a lot of flexibility in your life as a woman. Yes. Because of childcare and co. Um, in terms of, so, you know, something really interesting happened, I think it was last month. There's this lady, her name is um, Mama Betty. Okay. Uh, you call someone Mama when they're elderly. So Got it. that's why she's called Mama Betty. And she, um, she got our head of commercial, our CCO's number from uh, one of our agents. And then she just called. And then she's like, are you cafe? And he's like, uh, yeah. And then she's like, I'm outside your office. I want to meet you. And then he's like, uh, who are you, Ma? Like... <laughs> And then she's like, I'm one of your suppliers. I sell on your platform and I want to know how you people are doing it. How are you doing it? And so he went to meet her and she was so excited because so I think she's about 68 and she's a second generation uh, wholesaler. And um, she's never sold so much. Right. Wow. Because we have this huge uh, like so we have 170,000 merchants. So basically, if you're pricing right, you're you're going to get a lot of traction. Mm -hmm. And so she just wanted to know, like, what are you people doing? Like, you know, how does it work? Because we have um, different channels that you work with us. If you're not a digitized business, mm -hmm. you can still supply us through um, things like, we have some tools that 
just feel like either calls or WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. So she's not familiar with like a standardized, you know, um, computer or uh, interface where, you know, she has to put her stock. She's just like sending WhatsApps as far as she knows, like she sends to other businesses she deals with, but she's just seeing all these orders and she was super excited. So she, she wanted to meet you know, the person responsible. And she's been sending cafe like all these prayers. Aww. So like every Monday she sends him these prayers. She's like, my son, how are you? Are you doing well? And like, um, so cafe has been super happy about that. I think he's been high off that the whole month. I bet I would be too. I want some of her prayers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what does she sell? Um, so she sells um, FMCG products. Um, so milk. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, if I remember correctly she's a distributor for friesland wamco which they sell a lot of milk and dairy products okay um yeah wow it's wild thinking about her using whatsapp to tell people you know her inventory yeah. and be able to sell that way that's that's cool but that she can still kind of plug into your platform and yeah see the benefits from it yeah I'm, i mean the key thing here in this market is while digitization is extremely important it's really about understanding what the market needs mm -hmm. it's like you know the market doesn't really care about your marketplace. They don't care about your app. They care about their business. And mm -hmm. so for us, like every time we're trying to design a product or we're trying to think about what we're doing for the market, we think about it in two ways. Everybody we work with, we want to be achieving one of two things. Either we're helping you increase your income, increase your revenue, or we're helping you reduce your costs. Mm -hmm. If we're doing something that's not achieving that for the users, then we have a problem. And so the question isn't really about my interface and you know my application. I mean, we want the app to be as hot as it can. We want to have maximum engagement there, but it's more about are these businesses being positively impacted by what we do? Are they able to get more access as a result of that? Is that access leading to more turnover for them? you know, them buying through one of our guys, does that mean their costs are going down, et cetera? And when you think about it that way, you won't force the users into any particular form of offtake. Instead, you kind of tailor your business to what those users need. Mm -hmm. And I think we think that's the best way to look at it. So when you were growing up, did you see opportunities everywhere? Because it seems like you've been kind of on a similar path, at least Wasabi and then the prior company of like giving access, you know, to people, whether it's energy, whether it's, you know, e-commerce activity, whatever it is, you're giving access to people who don't have it. Did you see opportunities as you were growing up through life being like, oh, I could solve this. I could solve this. I would say yes, yeah. because I, so I come from a, a family of like a business family, like my mom is a businesswoman. My dad is a businesswoman. And so I basically grew up in their businesses, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of because of that, I was trying to run away from those businesses. So first of all, <laughs> I wanted to be an artist. what did they do? Why do you want to run away? Um, it's just like, you know, business, business, everything business. Uh -huh. And I was good at like drawing and painting. So I wanted to be an artist. Okay. And then I wouldn't say which parents, but one of them truncated that so then I was like, okay, I was very interested in economics. So I was going to be an economics professor. Mm -hmm. And I was actually going to do my master's in economic history. And then for some reason, I was on um, LSE's website and I saw this course called Management Organizations and Governance. And I thought, oh, that sounds so cool. So I changed last minute. And then after that, I, so we had this project and um, 
a, a VC judged the, the school project. And so they invited me and my team to um, start up boot camp mm-hmm. in Copenhagen. And after that, I got sucked down the business hole to my dad's delight. I was going to say, your dad's probably like, yay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was pretty happy. That's what I wanted. Yeah, I wanted to be a professor. He was looking at me like, professor. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so yeah. That's great. I kind of reverted to the family norm. Yeah. Well, now you all can share the same kind of conversations over dinner. So pretty much probably makes it much easier. So what's been the hardest thing while growing Sabi or where was there ever a moment where you're like, this might actually not work out? You know, it's, I don't know, this sounds like a humble brag, but it's really not. The growth has been so difficult to deal with. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, especially because so a lot of me and the team worked together before, either in uh, in Jumia or Ensource. And um, so we're familiar with businesses that grow fast. You know what happens, right? You know that there's a risk of the business outgrowing the team. You know, you need to keep recruiting. You have to change your structuring constantly, mm-hmm. et cetera. But I, I like actually experiencing it at this pace. So, you know, early in the year, we were doing 100% month on month. It's, it's actually extremely difficult because you're trying to keep your team skill sets up. Yeah. You're trying to keep people motivated. You don't want them to work on healthy hours. But at the same time, if you're not working those hours, it's like you can't meet this demand. Mm-hmm. At one point, we were only monetizing 5% of the business because, you know, basically growing at that pace was getting a bit crazy. Mm-hmm. And so it's really that balance. So for instance, one thing when you're growing at this pace is you have to make sure you don't run out of firepower, right? And so fundraising is a whole dance. I'm fortunate in that my co-founder is focused on that. And so I don't have to do that much in fundraising, but of course, uh, you know, I, I still have to talk to investors and do some things and it's a lot to balance out. So managing that growth cycle and anticipating the business's needs is is really something else. Something that happened to me last week was I went into someone's office and I was like, hey, you know, why aren't we on higher numbers? It's like, you know, we're, um, I think at that point, we're about 20 or 25% into the month Mm -hmm. uh, and we weren't trending what I expected. And I was like, what's going on? And then, you know, he turned his screen to me and he points at last month's numbers. No, sorry. He points at, we're in November. He pointed at September's numbers, which the whole month's numbers, right, were the same thing as what he needed to do in a week. And he's like, well, you know, (laughs) he didn't say anything. He's like, you know. And then we just started laughing because it's a bit ridiculous. Like, I remember when we hit that number in September, we're like, yeah, you know, you're the king of the universe. And then this month is like, one weekend we're here. What is this? What is this number? Yeah. Come on, uh, speed, speed it up, dude. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So making sure your team feels appreciated, making sure they're growing with you, mm-hmm. especially for culture. You don't want to grow and just bring people on top of people's heads, mm-hmm. um, making sure people feel rewarded, etc. I think that's my current focus. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Then the last question, where do you want to be in the next one to two years? What are you aiming for? So, Over the past year, we've really been focused on 
physical goods and financial services and that coordination piece. So we have something we call a commerce graph, which is really the center of our data and profiling where we lay out not just internal information, but information from external sources that help us profile the businesses better. And then also local based information. So this part of Kenya, this kind of resources are available. These are the dynamics, this part of Nigeria. We haven't really commercialized our insights and um, that's what we're focused on doing. So it's really working with bigger, larger corporate style businesses to grow out that piece and making sure that in delivering those insights, they're better able to provide our baseline merchants and our users with um, more services and help them grow out their businesses appropriately. So we're looking for that connect between um, the informal space and the more formal space, mm -hmm. um, connecting them through data and insights and also commercializing that. Cool. That's amazing. It'll be very fun to watch you guys do just that. As I can tell, you're already on that path. So fingers crossed. Very, very cool. Thank you. All right, let's move over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready? Okay, I'll try to be. <laughs> All right. First one, I can tell you still have your inner artist in you. So when you want to get creative or even just creatively think, what do you do? Like, what do you go out and do? Or how do you get in that mode? I go to the beach. Go to the beach? I'm a big beach head. Okay. Uh, Lagos is a beach city. So I, I take a book, I go to the beach a notepad and a book, and I, I chill by the ocean. Amazing. Sounds beautiful and relaxing. It is. <laughs> What's one thing you don't understand today, but you wish you did? Something I don't understand. Whoosh. What a question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have a good answer for that. I guess if I could understand culture dynamics better, that would be good. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you just have these funny elements crop up in your business in terms of like team dynamics or some kind of issue. And it's like, where did that come from? Yeah. It's like, um, and I wish there was some kind of science to anticipating some of those, you know, behaviors and the psychology behind it. That's a good one. I'm sure many people are like, yeah, okay. Yeah, me too. When you figure that out, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about a time when you made a powerful choice. Uh, a powerful choice. You know, it can be life or business, life or business. I think one of the best decisions I made was so Rensource, um, the business I was in just before this, mm -hmm. that kind of birthed Sabi um, during COVID had to undergo a pivot because the market shut down and um, it had to be done really quite skillfully and abruptly. Mm -hmm. So they moved into commercial and industrial solar. And I'm very much a big distribution, large operations, coordination kind of skill set. So it was less obvious why I should stay in the business. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, Demi, my co-founder and I were like, okay, you know what? Let's at least make sure this pivot happens uh, successfully. At that time, I had a lot of job offers. And it was also after the whole startup thing, I was thinking, you know, maybe I should just take it easy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, play with my kids a bit more, yeah. hang out at home a bit more. But then, uh, you know, at Rensource, we had started this thing about access for informal businesses and, you know, um, improving infrastructure and the lives of these business people. And I think I made a decision to like continue to do that. 
um, and before it was clear, you know, before Sabi really came to be. And I think I was fortunate to make that decision. And I'm really, yeah, that, that uh, has panned out, I think, really well. Yeah. I'd say so. Yes. Well, Anu, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all about Sabi. Where can people find out more about that and you? So please go to sabi.am or um, sabi.am, so S-A-B-I-A-M underscore Africa on any of the social media platforms. Uh, in terms of me, uh, my LinkedIn, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not very social, um, but um, if, if you're on sabi.am, you probably find out something about me. Amazing. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. listeners thanks for tuning into this episode i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did if you haven't already please subscribe rate and review this podcast it helps spread the word and i would greatly appreciate it see you next time Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.